You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Season 5 of Turning to the Mystics where we're turning to an anonymous author and the book, The Cloud of Unknowing. I'm here with Jim, and we're going to dialogue about his first session on the cloud. Fun to start a new mystic. I'm excited about it. I wanted to begin where you began with that first session, which was going over the schema that this author uses to describe these states of faith or degrees of faith and awakening to God. Just an opening question. Does everyone on a faith journey go through, especially the first two stages? I would say if we're on a faith journey, first of all, of course, everyone is in or has gone through the first stage. That is, there is a kind of religious consciousness but it fulfills, uh, gives moral guidelines, it gives a sense of belonging, all good things, whatever your own heritage is, a continuity. And probably, too, to uh, sincerely then live your faith, or it's personally important to you, and everyone lives the special way. And also, in the common way and in the special way, everyone from time to time experiences a blind stirring of love, like the quickening. But not everyone has a singular phase where there's a desire to abide in that stirring, like a longing, like having tasted it, one wants to find one's way, how do I I stay there? And so not everyone has that. So he's writing for the person who is experiencing that, or to help us discern it, because it's subtle, in a way, it's a very subtle kind of longing. And so he's trying to offer guidance on how to understand it, recognize it, understand it, and then, like all these mystics, how to respond to it, how to, how to kind of yield to it. Yeah. Yes, I was thinking about parents or grandparents, even me as an aunt, listening to this podcast and thinking about this schema in relation to children, teenagers, you know, people growing up in our midst. And so hopefully this teaching will be helpful to looking at the next generation and how to better support them in their faith journey. Yeah, exactly. You know, I used to, for years I taught uh, high school religion. I taught seniors, Catholic schools, and wrote the textbooks. And it's interesting, these people will be 17, 18 years old. Some of them just aren't there, you know, some of them just aren't. But some of them are very, their faith is, they have their own sense of their faith and how to grow in it, and they want to, they're very sincere about it. And so that's how we, in our own journey, can look back and help others move along. But also, we're saying for those who are more in this contemplative way, can help people who are just beginning to find their way into it and how to help them. And that's what the author of the cloud is doing. That's what all the mystics are doing there. We're all doing this together, and someone, this 
such as person is well seasoned in this, is there to help people find their way into this. And that's the teachings, really. Yeah. I didn't have guidance like this, which is so helpful, but my grandmother did really encourage the mystical sense of life when I was growing up, which I, I look back on and see was a great grounding for this journey I'm on now. You mentioned the desire that comes, and we've been seeing with all these mystics how desire is is the first step into this contemplative journey. And this desire, Jim, you describe it as a graced, like it's a gift. We can't kind of make it come to life ourselves, is it? Yes, here's how it helps me to understand it. We do this thing again, say we draw a circle, represents our self, our interiority of our self, our soul. And we know by faith that God lives in the innermost hidden center of ourself. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And so God, whom the whole universe cannot contain, is all about us. As Augustine says, it's closer to us than we are to ourselves. So what happens in this special way, devotional sincerity, is that God does illumine the interiority of that circle. It doesn't, not the center, but illumines in reflective consciousness illumined by faith. So there's consolations, there's insights, there's aspirations, there's these gifts that come to us that guide us in our faith walk. What happens in the stirring, which is a blind stirring, in your inmost center, see it's deep, it's hidden, it's that hidden center where you and God are unexplainably one with each other, is it, it stirs there. But it echoes in your reflective consciousness. And from without and within, it stirs. And you're caught betwixt and between. This, not God as God, he says, not as God is in us, loving God for his gifts. That we're grateful for God. God creates us. God loves us. God redeems us. God supports We should be grateful for all of that. So this is not God um, stirring in us as, as a gift. But we're being stirred to um, by the love of God in God, as God, as our destiny. When we pass through the veil of death and enter into eternity, see, we'll enter into knowing God with God's own knowledge of God, loving God with God's own love of God, merging into and being as God, as much God as God is God in our eternal nothingness without God. That's the divinization through love is our destiny. So what happens in the stirring, it's a foretaste of that. It's, it's a foretaste. So in a certain sense, then, it's not of this world. It isn't the love of gratitude for God in us, but we're being accessed or quickened by this love that then draws us out to give ourselves in love to this love that so unexplainably gives itself to us. That's kind of the poetics of it. There's like a magnetism about There's it. There's a magnetism, yeah. So that's why I say it's a longing we don't understand. For a union we don't understand, but we know it's true because we've experienced it. And not only have we experienced it, but we long to abide in this depth that we don't understand. See? And so we're coming to the author of the cloud, all these mystics, for spiritual guidance. Like, what am I to do? Like this. And so what the author does first is try to help us understand what's happening to us. 
and goes on to say what's so special, what's so good about where you are, what's so mysterious about it, is that the first three begin and end here, the common, the special, and the singular. The fourth is perfect, which is God, which is heaven. The fourth begins here, which is where you are now in the stirring, and it goes on forever. So literally, it's already kind of celestial. So you're already in this heavenly state in a very obscure way. Beautiful. And this sense of desire, so you're saying it might not feel like a human emotional desire like that we might have for a partner or to be with someone that we love. or but So it might feel different to that, like an angst or a, an urgency even. Is that the case, Jim? Yes, it is. There's some analogies, I think, can be. So some examples would be, it isn't just, say, that a person decides to become a teacher and learn the skills of teaching and teach, but rather they feel called to completely give themselves over to being transformed as a teacher to teach, like a calling. And they, they can't explain that. See, someone devoted to healing, or an artist, or a poet, or solitude. It's a stirring of something. It, isn't, it doesn't overflow into emotions. Doesn't, there's like an imperative of your awakened heart see, that's drawing you to consummate this longing by surrendering to it. So it's like that. And that's why it's hard to talk about, because it's so uh, delicate. And when you try to look at it directly, it goes away. You can't see it. But it's like right there stirring within you, like drawing you forward unexplainably. See? And the world that we live in is a world that at every other turn drowns it out. It gets overtaken by this, by this, by this. That's why it's like a flame that flickers in the wind. And yet there it is again, there it is again. So how can we steady ourselves to stay in receptive vulnerability to that desire? long enough to let it have its way with us. See, what's the artistry of that? And people with that desire that have this innermost experience of God, when they hear words from a mystic like the cloud of unknowing and people need to find their own teacher, but it gives them hope, it rings true, it offers you feel like this is something I could I could follow. Is that is that part of how the desire manifests? Yes, I think two aspects of this I think are important. Let's say that you, we read like listening to these mystics with the cloud, and it bears witness the very fact we're drawn to it. That's the very fact it speaks to us. And to know, in some sense, it's for everybody. It is like the Tao that like water falls down seeking the lowest place, giving life to all that lives. So you could be in the special way, like devotional sincerity, and you could be drawn to practice this way of prayer. And it would grace your life, but it would grace your life as someone in the special way. That is to say, you say, I'm so grateful for this gift because I, because of my fidelity to this practice, I really am more centered more grounded, more present, more the virtues of it, the gifts, which is God's grace. See? So the cloud is saying, yes, 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 all of that, yes, 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 yes. But it has come to such a point, like a tipping point, where the, the deepest thing isn't 
the graces that flow into you, but how you're being so drawn to, to give yourself and go into God. And um, so for someone, because it's so subtle, so then when you read the mystics, you can tell they're talking about what you're experiencing. That's what I think the recognition is. There's a way to talk about this. And it's also clear when you listen to people like this, like you read these people out loud, this isn't hearsay. You know, it's not opinion. Where they didn't, you can tell they're speaking out of the truth of how they themselves were transformed in it. That's why it says in the foreword, there are those presently living the active life, that is the life of effort, moved by grace, who are being prepared by God to grasp the message of this book. I am thinking of those who feel that this blind stirring of the stirring of the spirit in their inmost being. And then he says, I do not say they always experience this as experienced contemplatives do. That is, some people habitually abide in this state. And he's, we think this author is one of them. See? You know what I mean? And so we come to the seeker, to the master, to the teacher, and say, I want to sit with you so that hopefully with God's grace, what might happen to me is what clearly has happened to you. Because you bear witness that my heart has not deceived me. See, uh, you bear witness that it's real. And I think that's, you know, that's how the lineage is. That's the relationship to the teacher. And this mystic gives guidance on the possibility of this singular and perfect way. So it gives us hope and kind of clarity around what's happening inside of us. But then he also offers a way of praying, like a, a method to help stabilize what's happening in the singular way. Is that how you see it, Jim? Yes, but in this sense, with this distinction, notice that in all the mystics so far, Thomas Merton, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and Guigo, there's no method. What these mystics say is that when you're in this special way of living the life, that is devotional sincerity and prayer with God and so on, what starts to happen to you is a certain transformative event. So for John of the Cross, it's the passage through a dark night, this mysterious deprivation or the loss of solace. For Teresa in the fourth mansion, you realize your heart's being enlarged to divine proportions. For Thomas Merton, it's the deepening of moments of awakening, turning to see a flock of birds descending. It gets deeper, deeper, deeper. And so they, you practice it, and then you, if you want to think about it, your practice is your fidelity to surrender what's happening to you. But they give no method. They say, you know, how, how will you find your way to do this and follow it? So what we have here is the cloud of unknowing is saying, here's a way. But notice, it's not a method as it's not contrived, like try this, you know, plug it in and see if the car starts. This method is actually a response to the blind stirring of love, but he's, it's concretized in a way that offers the least resistance to being overtaken by this love for this love. So I think that's the difference. We're going to see this later when we look at the Jesus prayer, the way of a pilgrim. You're going to see the Jesus prayer is another way, a method, method in the same sense. And also parallels in the other traditions. For example, in deep yoga, or raja yoga, in sacred yoga, namaste, 
There are very detailed like methods to follow, like a lineage. In Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, there are methods. See? And uh, in Buddhism, Zazen, Vajrayana Buddhism, there are methods. But these methods are all the art, um, what's been learned over time, that's conducive to being stabilized in this. As a response to the grace. Otherwise, it's just the ego thinking, oh, I'll try this. You know what I mean? Really, I think I'll see what happens. Nothing wrong with that. It's good to try it. But what makes it heartfelt is like a response to something. Mm -hmm. mm, that's really helpful. And Guigo also, would you say, is the same idea as, as the cloud? Yeah, the th first, he has no method. In other words, the first three steps of the ladder, lexio meditation and prayer. He said, but then what happens? The prayer is the longing. And the longing becomes unbearable. And you're powerless to consummate it. See? And then you're crying out to God, see, help. And then he said, God cut you off mid-sentence and crosses over, see, in an ecstatic moment takes you, takes like this. And so, in that sense then, like these other mystics, it's in how to be faithful to living that way. See how, as it follows its rhythm through the years. And, but the author of the cloud here is more of a tradition of this quote method of this way that he proposes. Which we see as a response to what's happening to us and an openness to God overtaking us in with God's kind of presence. It's not a method that has a guaranteed outcome or like if I do this, I get God all the way home. Or I <laughs> Exactly. There might be some of that around the edges, but deep down you realize it's around the edges. Right in the center. And notice, by the way, that this method is very subtle. It's like a non-method method. Because he said, what you do is you sit in a quiet place and you interiorly turn to that place that's stirred within you, God within you, deeper than you can see. And then your intention is to take that place that God's stirring within you and in a self-donating act, give yourself to the love that stirred your heart, see, by giving yourself to that love. See. And so what he's talking about then is, is that subtle stance. And so the method is how to stabilize in that stance. See. And in chapter three, which you focused on, the author's very encouraging about trying the method. It feels an encouraging word to us to give it a try. Yes. And, and another thing too, he's gonna to say this in later chapters, He's going to say, not everyone is suited for this. And he said, if it doesn't, don't do it. Because what matters is holiness. You know? He said, but if you are, to give yourself to it and see if it resonates. Because for all of its miraculous qualities, he said, for, for all of this, it's the easiest thing of all. If it flows in the, in the flow of how grace is calling you, there's a naturalness about it. It's, it's uncontrived. And uh, it's like that. I wanted to ask you about that because he also says, or I think you said as well, that it's challenging. So uh, how long would you say you need to try something before <laughs> you know if it's resonating, if it's just challenging and difficult versus, you know, it's not for me? Yes. Well, first of all, let's, let's clarify. This will come up later in the next session when we talk about the two clouds. But let's say, first of all, why is it challenging? 
So let's say this, a key to the, the author's teachings is that all of our ideas of God, even revealed true ideas of God, are all finite ideas of the infinity of God. And illumined by faith, they give us a real knowledge of God. So to hear that God loves us is an idea. Through the power of the Spirit in our hearts, we experientially know that it's true. And so there is this um, benefit in the special way of these graced ideas. But now in the touch, here's the example I want in the next session, I'll be sharing this with them. The example I use for this, for me, it helps me to see this, is imagine somebody all alone in the desert dying of thirst, and they're writing the word water over and over in the sand. They're onto a great idea. But when you're dying of thirst, there's just nothing like a drink of water. The, the blind stirring of love is the drink of water. And so it's, why is it dark? It's dark because the you, the, those thoughts are still there. See? But you've been called to something beyond all thoughts. See? And, um, and therefore, because you're still accustomed to thought, you know, we're, we're very bound up with our thoughts. That self that's accustomed to thoughts, good thoughts, noble thoughts, the thinking self and all that it thinks, because we're so accustomed to it, it's, it's, it, at first it's very hard. You know, it's a very strange thing. You have to sit long enough for it to uh, catch hold. See? And so how long do you sit? Let's say you, you try and go, well, that was hard. <laughs> you try it again. Four days later, it's still hard. It's still, you know, like, when's this, when's this going to happen? I hope by Thursday, I hope. So, <laughs> So I, I think it goes like this. Um, first of all, there's like this like beginner's mind at first. You, get, you realize you're getting acclimated. It can go on for weeks and weeks. It's still difficult. But even though it's difficult, you can sense in it a certain resonance. See? It's difficult, but there's something here that's kind of quietly shining in the difficulty. And I feel called to do it. I, I think that's the discerning. Yes. Thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. It's a little bit, is it a little bit like uh, exercise when afterwards <laughs> you know it was good for you before you might be feeling, I know it's good for me, but I'm a bit tired today. And then during you might be more in discomfort than comfort, but afterwards you feel a resonance in your whole body with what you just did. And here's another example. That's a good example. Because let's say you've been exercising for a while. So you go out for a long run or long distance or whatever it is. It's a certain point where it's difficult. And you want it to get to that point where you're burning off. You want it. But even though it's difficult, it's not just difficult. See, there's meaning in it. It's me. There's meaning in the difficulty because it's tra it's a transformative difficulty. See, there's a way it's a loving act of taking care of myself, and my, my I feel that response in myself. Exactly, and I also think like recovery from uh, addiction, or recovery from trauma, or in radical commitment to a creative process, and it won't quite break through. I think this is contemplative character transformation. That in the struggle. 
we realize we're being transformed in the struggle itself, like a kind of an enrichment or transformation of our awareness. And, um, and then as we keep going, like runners get their second wind, you know, you realize you, there, there's, there's, there's phases where there's like a newfound freedom, where the difficulty falls into the background. And the very thing that was so difficult is the very thing that liberates you. In terms of learning this prayer and um, maybe giving it a try, I was thinking how if people are already trying guigos, steps of the ladder, this is something you could try in the midst of that, you know, after you've, you've read your piece and done the prayer or the conversation, you could kind of drop into this at the end. Do you think, Jim? <laughs> yeah, here's what I think. Uh, when I was growing up, I don't know if they're around anymore, there used to be a brand of chocolates called Whitman's Chocolates. It was called the Whitman Sampler. And when you lifted it up, in the lid was a diagram of the chocolate. So you knew this is raspberry cream, this is walnut. So the thing about going through these mystics is like a mystical sampler, like, mmm, try a little <laughs> and then I go, Two weeks later, mmm, I'm really munching away on Julianne of Norwich, and oh, I can hardly wait. You're like a buffet. You're yeah. like a buffet. Yeah. But, and so I think it's good to see, we just listen to it because there's a certain music in each one. And there's a certain constancy through all of them. And you can't, quote, try them. But what you're really doing is settling into the one that sits well with you. Because each one contains all the others. Because each one is a modality of all of them. And so the more we see the array of all of them, the more we appreciate its richness. But also we find one that we gravitate towards because it's attuned with our the way we're called. And that the one that we settle with can change over time. It can be a certain way. It just So we have to be always receptive and open just to see where we're being led next. Beautiful. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. One last question on the movement from the common way special, singular, to perfect. Is it the case, Jim, that part of moving from the common way to the special way is there is a certain kind of clarity, certainty, you know, like really feeling God is real in the ways that I'm experiencing that in thought or experiencing that in my body or experiencing that. So in a way it's a bit of a, I can see why it's really challenging to then be called into this way. You've grasped a certain sense of certainty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's say, that's good, yes. Here's how I put it. Let's say you're in the common way. And then the, you don't enter the special way by deciding, I think I'll try the special way. But something happens, like you fall in love, or you have a child, or somebody dies, or in the middle of the night you're graced with something. Uh, or you're, you're listening to the scriptures and it strikes you in a way that never struck you before. So there is this kind of event where you're interiorly illumined by it, see? And it stays with you. And so that's a special way. See? Then you seek out the company of kindred spirits, Bible study, whatever it is. So let's say you're in that way. And I've got a, I've got a kind of certainty in my heart that God is real, that I'm connected to God, that, yeah. 
Absolutely, this obscure certainty. And I, I live by it. God enriches me. God guides me. God sustains me. And God motivates me to help others like the gift of faith. See? So then let's say, and, th and you're very much aware then of God's presence in you, how it's graced your life, how gracious, as well we should be. And then from time to time, there's these quickenings, like these stirrings. They pass, but what they do is they illumine your faith even more. Or, or, or they enrich your faith even more. But then when the moment comes where the longing starts to leave that behind, see, then I, I think you prayerfully discern, like ask God to help you with this. Like maybe, maybe it's a longing you're not yet ready to respond to. Maybe it's a longing you need to sit with till you understand it better. See, maybe it's a longing. And so he's, he's, this is why the author of the cloud says, the thing where he talks about these qualities in the second chapter, he says, as you, as you're, take courage now, frail mortal though you are. Try to understand yourself. Don't think you're better than he does all that. He said, besides, let's face it. The thing is, you'll be miserable if you don't do this. See, that's the thing. As it isn't my choice, you know, like pilgrimage, you know, like exodus. It's not my choice, but it's tugging at my heart. See? And therefore, I'm going to trust in God and surrender to it. That God's leading me into this way and God's guiding me. I think it's like that. It's a spiritual direction question, I think. And these things I was very certain about in the special way it's just I have to loosen my grip on them. It's not that they might, I might not still live certain of certain things, but I, I loosen my grip on them. Is that a good way to think about it? Yeah. There's this, I don't know if she's still in Macrina Whitaker. She wrote a lovely book called A Tree Full of Angels from Blake. And um, she was on a retreat. We were having a talk. And, and she was invited to like a contribution to some essays. It was on things that I'm certain of. She was, as a nun, like, what am I certain of? It was a collection of things. And by the way, one of the chapters was Elizabeth Taylor. So we even got to know what Elizabeth Taylor was certain of, which is interesting. And what came out of our discussion was this. The things I used to be certain of, I'm no longer certain of. And the things that I used to be certain of, that I'm still certain of, I'm no longer certain of in the same way I used to be certain of. And I'm fairly certain this is going to continue. <laughs> See, you know what I mean? It's like finding an old journal or something. You look back and it's like the grace learning curve where we're transformed through time. And so, so certainty, like uh, John of the Cross, to have no light to guide you except the one that burns in your heart. And so it's a, it's a providential certainty. You know, it's a, it's a humble certainty. Really another word for it might be fidelity, obediential fidelity to, to the promptings of the Spirit. Yeah. Beautiful. So can you just describe a little bit more, Jim, this idea of being at home in the darkness, in this cloud? Let's say first you're sitting in this practice. And like I said, the next talk we're going to talk about the two clouds. We'll go into this more. And so what you do is thoughts arise. 
they rise and they fall. And you're aware of them. You're not trying to stop thinking. You're not trying to stop the thoughts from arising. You're just trying to learn how not to think about the thought that arise. You're aware that a thought is arising, a thought is enduring, the thought is passing away. You're inclined to want to think about the thought that's arising. But if you do, thinking will carry you off into thinking. So what you do is you're kind of practicing being aware the thought is arising. Now the awareness of a thought arising is not thought. If there was just thought, there'd be no awareness that thought is arising. Now, this detachment from thought is difficult because we're so acclimated to thought. But we know that this love that touched us transcends thought. It quietly overwhelms thought. And so at first it is hard to sit in the middle, still woven into thought and not give in to thinking thoughts. This is a new way to be in a way. But if you don't give up, if you just stay with it, you can learn to be at home in the darkness. Because what you discover is this, this awareness is a, it has about it a certain in richness or depth that thought cannot comprehend. See? It's a, it, it, it's, and this is why it's, it's not explainable. Because, but it is realizable. And you can tell when someone's talking about it like we are now. And I want to give another example of this, I think, where we all know this, too. I think I shared this in the talk. I can't remember. <clears throat> um, let's say you're going to an art museum. And uh, as you go walk to different pieces, and you have different thoughts about them. Oh, this is, I notice this. I, I like this one. I don't like this one. But then when you quietly sit and gaze at the work of art, it's a state of heightened awareness and oneness with the beauty that qualitatively transcends all your thoughts about the beauty. So in the midst of nature, in the arms of the beloved, in the pause between two lines of a poem, we all know this heightened awareness that transcends conceptualization. And once we find it, we can taste it as a kind of a homecoming. Because the kind, you know what I mean? It's a, it, there, there's a, a fulfillment here that I'll never find as long as I insist on always circling back to define it, pin it down, have it. Because finite thoughts of the infinite, like the word water written in the sand over and over, how are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen Perry? See, once you've had a taste of what's beyond thought, but there's a kind of thought that transcends thought, and it's this kind of thought. And likewise, all the words of Jesus are like this, really. Approached at this level. You can approach Jesus as thought. You can take and study. It's important. But where the Logos lives, it's a call. It's like a, a meeting or it's an event in your heart. Like it's a, you know, the, that's why it says, in a later chapter, he's going to say, turn to Jesus with loving desire. Don't turn to your thoughts about Jesus, but turn to the presence of Jesus, see, who's one with your presence calling you to itself. So Jesus and these mystics speak more from that place you're describing of the place where we're aware of our thoughts. They speak out of that versus kind of in this more merged place where we're merged into our thoughts and... 
That's exactly right. I really do. You look at the parables of Jesus, like the Zen koans. You know, they're stories. But what they're stories of is the stories of someone having an awakening. So as you listen to it, you can realize in some way the story, if you sit with it, is revealing you to yourself. So he's always calling us to this awakening, like this is quickening, this uh, this realization, this union, like this, and it gets deeper, deeper, deeper. Yeah. So just in this first guidance that we're offered in Chapter 3 that you've gone over in your first talk, the first guidance is this trying to find our way into a place that's aware of and not merged into thoughts. He also says emotions, right? Concert, you said emotions as well in the talk. Even thoughts or feelings about God, right? Thoughts or emotions or feelings of God. We try and just stay aware of them. I find the word helpful, joined to them or merged in with them, you know. That's exactly right. Another example I think I gave in the talk is that, let's say you've been in this long-term, like very deep love relationship with someone, and someone you haven't seen for years, maybe you knew them in high school, and you're together, and they, they know of this relationship, and the person, they, they never met your beloved, but they described it. So you describe the person's character, and, all, you know, and the person says, no, no, I don't mean that. Who do you know the beloved to be in your love for the beloved? See, that's true. You, you, you don't know what to say. See, I know it, I know it, I know that I know it. See, And therefore, the knowledge that comes through love is the knowledge that transcends all the ideas. They don't negate the ideas. You know, they're, they're not disrespectful to the ideas. But it, there's a knowledge born of love. And the same way he's going to say this, this love is not the love that washes over us, which is consolations. There's a love beyond the feelings of love, which is this infinite love. That's the author of our feelings of love, the giver of the feelings of love. But it's the infinite love itself, calling it just to itself. Yeah. This knowledge born out of love, the author shares some wonderful things from that knowledge about the encouragement that we get from family, friends, the saints, the angels, that when we're trying this kind of a practice. I found that very encouraging. Yes, and what I see in it, this has always meant a lot to me, this sense of things, is see that this classical contemplative way of seeing things. See, in God we live and move and have our being. So we're living our life in the vast interiority of God. So all the angels are here, all the saints are here, all those who have crossed over, all that's here, see. But we don't see them. And we don't see the dead for the same way we don't see God. They've crossed over into infinite union with the infinite. But in deep meditative states, it's to know that this passage between heaven and earth is constantly uh, interpenetrating each other. So it has this lovely image that when you love God for God's sake instead of your sake, the angels turn and look at you like, whoa, <laughs> someone discovers what heaven's about. And there's this idea that they circle around you, they're fanning you, encouraging you to love. And the souls in purgatory, there's this lovely imagery of eternity and time and heaven and earth. We enter the, so this is, this is, this practice is the gate of heaven. You know, it's a, it's a lovely image. It's true. I mean, it is, we don't tend to think about this, but it's true.
I found it particularly encouraging because we lost our dog in January, Winston, who used to sit right beside me for all these podcasts. And when I read that, I realized how in a certain way, I still feel him sitting right there, you know, his loving, unconditional presence. Yes, you know, I think an insight here, I, I think it was in Merton, we were talking about this, I can't remember, is once in the class of medieval philosophy at the monastery, or I asked Dan Walsh in the class, that, that could we say after the geographical Tokyo no longer exists, there'll still be Tokyo? He said, yes, because Tokyo is in God's mind, see? And God never forgets. So everything real is forever. So when we die, we'll go into this conversation forever. And everyone listening will go into the moment they're listening to it because everything is forever, see? So, so what's, what's manifested is eternal, but the manifestation is temporary, see? It's a temporal order. So what's the eternality? endlessly passing away that manifests what never passes away. And there's something very consoling about that. And it's true. That's a kind of, it would be an example of a knowledge born of love. Yes. Can you say that again, Jim? You said what manifests is eternal? Yes, yes. Is that, that what is being manifested, which is ultimately God, God's infinite presence is presencing itself. Pouring itself out and utterly giving itself away in and as the intimate immediacy of the gift and the miracle of our very presence, the presence of others, of all things, the trees, the stones, the stars, everything, which is the divinity of everything. And so that which is manifesting itself, the eternality of ourselves in God's love is eternal. But the appearance of that which is manifesting itself is temporary. And so there's the temporal self that experiences the passing away of everything. And the temporal self that experiences the passing away of everything is itself passing away. But what comes welling up out of the depths of the self that passes away is the realization of the self that never passes away, which is the self that God forever loves. Our lives are hidden with Christ and God forever. And so that's, I think that's what we're trying to come to here in a way. So encouraging. The author suggests to be at this practice playfully throughout the day with whatever the day is asking of you. Do you have any advice about how we might do that? Yes, this is my sense. This is my sense. Let's say we're faithful to this practice. And it's a practice because it takes a while to be stabilized in it. It's a habit. It's a daily rendezvous of this way. And then when the rendezvous ends, you ask God for the grace not to break the thread of that rendezvous, and you go about your chores. So at first, and for quite some time, there's a noticeable difference between what this is like when you're sitting in rush hour traffic. You know, noticeable difference when your cell phone goes off, and there's a reality to that. But what you start to notice, I think, is in unexpected ways, glimpses of this start shining out in incidental moments. A sideways glance, a shift in someone's voice, you turn and see something, a tree, and then you realize it's becoming subtle, 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 like a, an habituated sensitivity of being stabilized in this awareness. I think that's what deepens over time. 
So the way you are when you're sitting and the way you are when you're taking a glass of water, it's the same. And the difference is there. But you're aware that God's the infinity of the difference itself. You know, God's the infinity of a glass of water, a sip, and, or the each passing thought. Yeah. And God's doing the work to make that happen in the practices and in the, in the openness to God. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's all up to God and it's all up to us. This, if we think of, the, of, of God as generosity. The generosity of the infinite is infinite, and we are the generosity of God. Each breath, each heartbeat, the sun, everything, all this is the generosity of God's presence flowed out like this. It's all up to God, but it's all up to us in this sense that if we don't pray, there's no prayer. You see, if we don't choose it and stand by the choice with grace, the choice doesn't stabilize. It's an act of freedom. So I have to freely choose to say yes to this and live by the yes. It is an echo of God's yes to me. Like that, I, so it's like, I think that's it. Because love is never imposed, it's always offered. So it's always invitational. You realize in a singular way, you feel the invitation. But then the path is your acceptance of the invitation by living by it. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I wanna say yes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> me too. Sounds, sounds good to me. <laughs> well, thank you, Jim, for helping us understand even how to say yes and that this freedom is possible. So thank you for today, and uh, I look forward to the, your next session on the cloud. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.